I just want to pray before I start. Yeah, Lord, we do thank you for your word. And we do ask you to just speak. We thank you that your word is true. And your word is powerful. And your word is effective. We pray you will encourage us and challenge us and help us to know you. Amen. If you've got your Bibles with you, I'm reading from 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. It's not going to be the most joyous message that anyone's ever brought. Um, I preached on this subject last, a couple of times ago when I preached. And it's come back to me again. And it's, it's, You'll see what it is as I read the passage. But um, We're not going to have the most fun time. But I do think we need to hear what God wants to say. Because it's, it's going to encourage us as we walk with him. So it's 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in, in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. We who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus to bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Some of you will have seen the news that... um, the last day or so, there's been a sh- another shooting in, in America. 50 people killed in a nightclub. And you see these things all the time. Um, not so long ago in Paris, there was another spate of shootings. And we know that we live in a world that is full of suffering and hardship and trouble and darkness. And we, as Christians, are called to follow Jesus at all costs. And we sometimes think that we've got a right to a life of pleasure, of a good life, of joy, and we do have some of that. But Paul says in Philippians 1.29, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, 
but also suffer for his sake. Now, Jesus himself said, we've been singing about the cross today a lot. Jesus said, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So following Jesus is not only a life of joy and peace and family and all the good stuff and blessing. It's, it's all of that. But it's also called to suffering, to following him in his death in our lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some of you may have heard of him, he was executed by hanging on the 9th of April 1945 at the Flossenburg concentration camp in Germany. Um, his crime was standing against the Nazi regime of his day, and many other Christians didn't do that, but he did. And he once said this. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. So if we follow Jesus, we will suffer Not that we might possibly suffer at some point, but we will. It's part of following Jesus. Now, you see why I said it's not a sort of joyful message, but we can't always have joyful, happy messages because this is something that God wants to encourage us in. We need to hear that part of following Jesus is to suffer for his name. And Paul says in that passage through Corinthians, we always carry in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may, may be manifested in our bodies. And that happens in various ways. And I just want to, I think there's different ways in this room today where people are, have experienced some of this suffering. Oh, and if you haven't, I was listening to John Piper this week preaching about suffering. Um, if you want a powerful message about suffering, John Piper says a lot, a lot about it. And he said, if you're not suffering now, it will come. That's nice, isn't it? But it's true. If you're not suffering now, it will come. And there's various ways that we suffer. And I just want to share, really, a couple of stories of a couple of people um, with you. It says in 1 Peter, just before I do that, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So don't be surprised at your suffering and rejoice when you do. You're not the first and you're not the last. There's somewhere else where, I don't know, I can't even remember who wrote it, but it's in the Bible where it says your, your fellow brothers and sisters all over the world are experiencing this as well, suffering. So as I said, there's this great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11, biblical characters who suffered. But there's also some historical people since then. We still have great witnesses to God's life who have suffered. And I hope it will encourage you. It might be a bit kind of depressing in some ways, but I hope it will encourage you because... There are various ways we suffer, and I'm only just going to look at three of them, but there are other people suffering other ways in this room. So some people are suffering with sickness. Sickness is a way in which we suffer in our lives. 
we know people that suffer with long-term sickness and that might be some of you and I want to share with you the story of one of my inspirations a man called John Calvin Texas smiling because he's one of my inspirations honestly he's today he's quite a controversial figure for some but he really shouldn't be he was a man who he lived in Geneva and we went didn't we Bex we went to the cathedral where he preached in the 16th century he was part of the reformation he was a an incredible bible teacher he he taught through most of the books of the bible one of the ones he didn't teach was revelation so we're passing calvin on that we're doing better than him on that one um i'm sure he'd be pleased to know but he um he also had an apostolic gift he wouldn't have called it that in his day but he sent out thousands of people to plant thousands of churches all over France, which was very much a Catholic country, and at that time in the world, the Catholic Church was persecuting the Protestant believers. Very different today. He was a man that worked greatly for God. In fact, the Scottish Church, the National Church of Scotland, was also founded through John Knox, who came over from Geneva. So Calvin, Calvin was a man who was full of God's life, preached, worked, served God. And I just want to read something that my friend put on Facebook about Calvin, and I'm going to share it. So he died 492 years ago. When my friend put it on, it was 492 years ago to the day. It says, the man, Calvin, worked himself to his grave, almost literally. He genuinely believed that he must redeem the time. And he reflected that truth in his life at a price. In 1564, he was riddled with medical complaints. A lung filled with phlegm that wouldn't shift, urinary stones and damaged waterworks, piles and excruciating gout is a selection of what he suffered. That's a selection of what he suffered. Listen to this, he couldn't sit, lie, walk, or ride on horseback without immense pain. So he basically couldn't do anything without immense pain. And yet, he insisted on writing and preaching, even if he had to be carried to his pulpit at St. Pierre's Cathedral in Geneva. On the 1st of February, 1564, he preached on 1 Kings and then again in the afternoon, teaching on Ezekiel. How much more, Calvin asked that day, should God's free goodness be extolled by us when he openly calls us to himself in heaven and the hope of the happy immortality which has been obtained for us through Christ? The language is a bit traditional and flowery, but you get the point. From there, his sickness greatened. He knew in himself that he was going to die. His only fear at this point was that he'd lose the power of his voice. And he took a moment to pen a letter to his lifelong friend, William Farrell. Since it is God's will that you outlive me, remember our friendship. I draw my breath with difficulty and expect each moment of breath to be my last. It is enough that I live and die for Christ, who is to all his followers again in both life and death. And Calvin died, he asked for his gravestone to mark he asked for no gravestone to mark the place of his burial. 
Sola Deo Gloria, which means to God be the glory, was his passion in life and in his death. For Calvin lived every day with this extreme collection of, of illnesses that almost meant he couldn't do anything. If you can't stand, you can't sit, you can't ride a horse, you can't lie down, you essentially can't really do much without pain. But he worked for God incredibly, um, incredibly hard by God's grace to glorify God in his life. And God worked through his weakness of his sickness to bring glory to his name. And some of us have that, that experience of day day sickness, probably not as much as Calvin did, and some of what he had could be treated today. But if you're living with sickness, God gives you grace to, glo- to show his power and his glory in your suffering. And he does heal. And we believe God heals, don't we? We do believe God heals. And we want him to heal. And he can heal. But even if he's going to heal you, you're sick now. And in that place, he can display his power through you. So one aspect of our suffering, some of us suffer in sickness. I don't know if anyone in this room does, but you may do at some point. God is glorified through us in our weakness. And let me share another one with you, persecution. You know, we often say we're not persecuted like Christians in China or, or North Korea, which I'm going to share with you in a minute, a North Korean story. Um, but we do face difficulty for our faith and friends, family, who don't like our Christian faith sometimes. And it's a form of persecution. And if somebody's putting you down or treating you badly or bullying you for your faith, yeah, okay, it might not be like getting killed or put in prison, but it's still, you're still being persecuted for your faith in some way. And if you're suffering persecution, or you know someone who is, it's another way in which we suffer for Christ. These are just examples, by the way. There are many ways we can suffer. But I just want to give you a couple of stories from Open Doors, um, who work with persecuted Christians in various countries. This is a story from North Korea. An Open Doors partner visits 12 families to encourage them. They have only one Bible in the whole group and each family must take a turn to borrow it. He reports that they hide in a secret place. Once a month, three families get together and worship together. Once a year, all believers get together in a mountain valley to worship and have secret fellowship. We always remember all the prayer support from all over the world, says one of their leaders. It encourages us to live another victorious day in Christ Jesus. Another victorious day in Christ Jesus. They've got one Bible between them. Intense persecution. There are, I can't remember, there's, there's like, it's like about 2% or 5% something like that, I can't remember, of Christians, something like that, in North Korea. There's not many. And some of us suffer for our faith against friends, family, co-workers, 
It's another way of suffering. But they say we can live an another encouraged, we are encouraged to live another victorious day in Christ as they're prayed for. Maybe you're suffering under some form of mild persecution compared to what they are, but still persecution. Here's another one, a Hindu background believer. When AJ became a Christian, his Hindu father was furious. He was beaten for reading his Bible, then forced to marry a Hindu girl. This bit's great, right? The plan backfired. His wife decided to follow Jesus. <laughs> AJ's father disowned his son. His brothers threatened to kill him, and the couple were thrown out of the house. He's never gone a day without some form of persecution. But AJ is not downhearted. God is blessing me in countless ways. Amazing. It says, God is blessing me in countless ways in his suffering. Great. But some of us are facing that. That we were in that place of feeling persecuted for our faith. Here's another one. Here's one more. And again, they're just examples. There are many ways that we can suffer for Jesus. And many ways that you are, or have been, or will be. So this, this is just some of the things that came to my mind as I prayed about this. Some of us suffer with emotional pain. And we face every day depression. Depression's a horrible thing. But did you know another one of my heroes, Charles Spurgeon, suffered from depression? A man, again, who was used mightily by God to preach and teach the Bible. He was called the Prince of Preachers. <coughs> Sorry. And he suffered depression. But there's one particular story of his life which I want to share about, they call it the worst, the worst day of his life and, and the day that Spurgeon almost quit. Some of you will know it. It says this, got this off the, uh, off Desiring God, which is John Piper's ministry, and he shares this story. He says, at the age of 22, Charles Spurgeon almost quit the ministry. He and his wife Susanna had been married less than one year. Their sons, Charles and Thomas, were infants. After three years in the big city, Spurgeon's ministry has solicited envy from his opponents, admiration from the evangelicals and criticism from the press. Susanna often hid the morning newspaper to prevent Charles from reading its headlines. The evening of October the 19th, 1856, commenced a season of unusual suffering for Spurgeon. His popularity had forced the rental of Surrey Garden Music Hall to hold 12,000 people congregating inside. 10,000 eager listeners stood outside the building, scrambling to hear his sermon. The event constituted one of the largest crowds, crowds gathered to hear a non-conformist preacher. A throwback to the days of George Whitfield. Someone else who used to get great crowds listening to him. A few minutes after six o'clock, someone in the audience shouted, fire, the galleys are giving way. The galleries are giving way. The place is falling. Pandemonium ensued as the balcony collapsed. 
Those trying to get into the building blocked the exit and those fighting to escape. Spurgeon attempted to quell the commotion but to no avail. His text for the day was Proverbs 3, 33. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. A verse he never preached again. An eyewitness recorded the cries and shrieks of this period were truly terrific. They pressed on, treading furiously over the dead and dying, tearing frantically at each other. Spurgeon nearly lost consciousness. He was rushed from the platform and taken home more dead than alive. After the crowds dissipated, seven corpses were lying in the grass. 28 people were seriously injured. The depression that resulted from this disaster left Spurgeon prostrate for days. Even the sight of the Bible brought me to floods of tears and utter distraction of mind. The newspapers added to his emotional deterioration. Mr Spurgeon is a preacher who, hurt, who hurls damnation at the hands of sinful hearers, they said, and he's a ranting charlatan. By all accounts, it looked as if his ministry was over. It might well seem that the ministry which promised to be so largely influential, Spurgeon said, was silenced forever. When Spurgeon ascended the pulpit on November the 2nd, two weeks later, he opened with a prayer. We are assembled here, O Lord, this day with mingled feelings of joy and sorrow. Thy servant feared that he should never be able to meet this congregation again. Spurgeon suffered from immense depression at times in his life particularly. He suffered it his whole life. I remember there were other periods as well. But he was greatly used by God. He was, he was used to preach and even after that awful period of his life, he continued to do so. A suffering depression was not a, a barrier to stopping Spurgeon from his ministry, but it was something that he suffered throughout his life. It's not a barrier to anybody in their ministry. But he suffered with that. He carried this suffering in his body, as did Calvin with his physical illness, as do persecuted Christians in their persecution. And as Jesus died, so we carry and continue in his suffering. Paul talks about filling up the sufferings of Christ. Doesn't feel like it, but it's almost a, a pleasure, a privilege to, to continue in the, in the sufferings of Christ. It, the apostles were thrown out the temple once for preaching. It's in Acts, Peter and John. And it said they... They glorified God that they were able to uh, suffer for the name of Jesus. But going back to one, 2 Corinthians, what does Paul say in the light of all of this? And they are just examples of some suffering. We all face suffering in our lives as Christians. We face things coming against us spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally. He calls us jars of clay, broken jars of clay. And he has something to say to those jars of clay about their suffering. He tells us that they are light and momentary. That the difficult sufferings that, and that when Paul was writing, he was talking about himself as much as the Corinthians because he, he suffered a lot in his ministry too shipwrecked and beaten and, and run out of town. 
almost killed many times and then eventually martyred, as Keith mentioned this morning. But he says all these troubles, all these sufferings that we face, that you face, are momentary. And they're not only momentary, but they're light. They don't last forever. And they are in the light of eternity, of God's eternal plan for us and his eternal life in heaven. They are momentary. Every suffering that you face in the light of eternity is momentary. But then he also says this. It's one of my favourite passages in the Bible. Um, um, this light of momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What Paul's saying is that as we suffer for Jesus, there's a glory that we get on our lives of God and a presence of God and a walking with God and an experience of God and a relationship with God that we only get on our lives through sharing in his sufferings. But then the best bit is what Paul says. He says, do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. In your illness, in your depression, in your attack against you for your faith, in your family issues, in your financial issues, as you suffer for him, do not lose heart. We want to lose heart and give up. We want to take our eyes off Jesus. He says, do not lose heart. <laughs> Fix your eyes on Jesus. That song I love, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's a wonderful little song. We turn our eyes on Jesus. We don't lose heart. It says we look to the things that are, we don't look to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen of eternal, the sufferings that you see and experience, they're transient, they pass away, they'll be gone. They'll probably be gone in your life at some point, and they're certainly gone when you go to be with Jesus. They don't last forever. None of it lasts forever. So we don't look to them, but we look to what is unseen. Because the unseen, eternal things that come from what we experience are greater and more powerful and more lasting and they come from Jesus. So do not lose heart. I just want to pray for us as we finish.
Thank you, Lord. That, thank you that we can suffer for you. It's not something we want to say or like to say. We don't thank you that times get hard, but we thank you that that produces in us something from you which is glorious and lasting and eternal. We pray today for every person in this room who is going through the trials of their life, that they will look to the things that are unseen, the eternal things that come from you. For those that aren't going through it right now, may they remember this. May they remember this day where they heard that when they face those trials in life, that they do not need to be taken out by them, but need to look to you. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Amen.